our God to move amongst us. Strip for action, I think. Friday afternoon, as I was preparing for this, I got a, a little buzz on my on the intercom. Nigel wanted to speak to me urgently, it said. And, uh, you know, all sorts of things go through your mind when somebody wants to speak to you urgently. The first thing you think is, what's gone wrong? Or what have I done? Um, and uh, when I rang Nigel, he said, um, I need a really quite urgent reaction from you, response from you. But Terry wonders whether you can go to India with him in January. So I made a quick phone call to Liz and I, I rang back to Nigel and said, I'd love to, without any hesitation. Basically, uh, Terry and Wendy are going over to Bombay uh, in the last week of January. But apparently this week he got a letter from Bombay and the itinerary that they've given Terry is so massive, is so mind-boggling that uh, there's no way that Terry himself could, could fulfil that. So he's asked Mike Springer and myself to join him. And I just felt so privileged to be asked to do that and to participate in that ministry. So I just share that with you. I found it very exciting to be asked to go over there. It's not the most comfortable region of the world to go to. In all the foreign trips that there are, uh, it's not the, the one with the plushest hotels, etc., and the best diet. But I'm really very excited at the prospect of going out there and sharing in that ministry in January. So just to share that hot from the press with you all this morning, because I'm very excited about it. Now, Luke's Gospel, and uh, reading from verse 26 of chapter 1, the birth of Jesus foretold. Now, those of you who know your Luke's Gospel will know that the first 25 verses are primarily about how Zechariah and Elizabeth are told by God that they're going to have a child, although Elizabeth had been barren and was, um, was probably past uh, any stage of expecting ever to have a child, she was going to have a child, and that child would be John the Baptist. And Zechariah heard from God while he was serving God in the temple as a priest. Now, we read from verse 26. In the sixth month, now that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, just to explain that. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God." I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. It was on Thursday morning with uh, our normal pastor's morning at Clarendon 
that various things were being shared and God was speaking to us in various prophetic words and it was at one point that God popped this passage into my mind and it was as, I think it was John Houghton, brought a word from God with the key theme to it, that of expectancy. And basically God was saying that he would come suddenly to his temple. We'd heard various reports of how God was moving in churches in this area and in the nation and actually overseas as well. And God was saying to us, yes, he would come to us. He would come suddenly. And there was a phrase that John then used as he spoke uh, from God to us, and it was uh, preach and teach expectancy. Preach and teach expectancy. I'd gone to that Thursday morning, not really knowing what I'd be sharing with you this morning. I was very uh, conscious that I needed to hear from God so that I had a living word to bring to you. And as God spoke through him and said, preach and teach expectancy, this passage of scripture popped into my mind. And I suppose God always, God's got a sense of humor and uh, there's a dual meaning in the sense of expectancy when we come to this passage. Because it's all about Mary going to be expectant. She's going to be pregnant. God's speaking to her. And she's going to, over the next few months, be an expectant mother. But there's another kind of expectancy in this passage. The expectancy that God was stirring up in Mary to believe that God was going to do something impossible. That God was going to break in in a way that was utterly, wholeheartedly supernatural. And she need to have ex- needed to have expectancy stirred in her life, in her heart, in her spirit, to be able to believe that God could do and would do what he declared. Preach and teach expectancy. So I'm seeking to be obedient to the prophetic word, which we always test, naturally, but I'm seeking to be obedient to that this morning as I lead you to this passage and I want us to focus our attention on the last part of the passage, which is all about stirring up expectancy in us. Expectancy that God can do the impossible. That God can work in mighty power. That he can work in mighty power in your life this morning. Yes, yours, not the person next to you, before you, but yours. He can work in your life. He can work in this area, through this church, mightily. He can do things that we might think are impossible now. He can work in our nation in a way that might at this present time seem totally irrational, but he can work in mighty ways and throughout this world. God can move powerfully by his Spirit in a way perhaps that we've never envisaged before, never experienced before, never heard of before, but God is a God of might and power, of the miraculous, and he wants to stir expectancy in us. Now, I suppose as you near the end of the year, you reflect on the year, and most of us, as we reflect certainly through the eyes of the media on the year, will acknowledge that it almost seems to have been an unprecedented year in terms of disasters and atrocities and all sorts of awful things that we've heard of through the year. And it may well be that many of us, as we come to the, near, to the end of the year, realize as never before that the only hope for our world, the only hope for men and women, is a mighty move of the Spirit of God. Because there is so much wickedness around. The atrocities, the disasters, so many of them have been man-made, man-inflicted. We've seen such horrific instances of the evil that is in man. And even in those areas where we sense that there has been encouragement and we sense that man has done his best, even in those areas we still see the, uh, the gloom and the darkness overwhelming them. I was thinking just the other day of uh, how over the last few years the BBC's Children in Need appeal has gathered momentum. And this year, a phenomenal amount of money was raised through that one night on television. 
with Terry Wogan and all the others making every effort and people responding wonderfully and doing their best and giving their best. And yet it seems as the more that that rises and man does his best, we hear worse and worse atrocities in terms of children at risk. And every day our newspapers are filled with even more lurid revelations of what our children are suffering. Over the last few years, there was a mighty wave of goodness and giving towards the Ethiopia appeal. But now, over the last few weeks, we're hearing, what has it achieved? People have been so good, they've given so sacrificially. But now we see the same thing happening all over again. And it's not primarily about drought, about lack of rain, because that would be easily overcome. It's about war still in that land. It's about trucks not being able to go through. It's about indiscriminate guerrilla killings. It's about intransigence in governments. And it seems that man does his best, but it's not good enough. We've just in this last week had a a historic peace treaty signed between East and West. Again, man seeking to do all that he can to cause peace. But we know in our heart of hearts that unless there is a mighty move of God and men and women's lives are changed from the inside out, it will not achieve anything radical. I'm as vocal as anybody about disarmament. I feel it's a step in the right direction, but I'm under no illusions. Unless men and women's hearts are changed, they won't trust each other. The barriers will still be there. The intransigence will still be there in people's hearts. And so we come and we say, oh God, we need a mighty move of your spirit. We need it right over this world. We need to see a new wave of Holy Spirit revival. We need it in this land of ours, this nation of ours. We need a mighty move of God. Yes, men and women do their best, and it's lovely to see people responding to appeals and making progress. And being men and women of goodwill, that's wonderful. But it isn't enough. In the end, it falls short. Another dimension is needed. What is it? It's the dimension of God breaking in in mighty power, supernaturally, pointing people to Jesus, changing lives. It's not religion that people want. We've seen again over the last week What a terrible state the institutional church can be seen in. There's awful business about this um, Crockford's um, article and the ensuing suicide. and, And it's just horrendous. And people say, well, look, they're no better than we are. They've got no answers. Of course they haven't. It's not political religion that men and women need. It's a mighty move of God's spirit. An overwhelming move of God in our generation. And it's what we need in our lives as well. Some of us perhaps come along at the end of the year and we look at our lives and there have been real hardships, there have been real difficulties. There are things that perplex us. We've got genuine questions about. And what we need more than anything is our expectancy, our faith to be stirred that God can change these things. That it's not some awful vicious circle that we're condemned to be on forever. Some kind of merry-go-round that we can't get off because it's going too quickly. But God this morning is the only answer. It needs more than your good intentions. It needs more than help from your friends around you. It needs God to break in, in a fresh way. Is that right? That's what we need. And I feel that God this morning wants to bring a word to stir expectancy in us. Yes, to stir expectancy on, a, on an international and a national level, perhaps on a local level for God to do something through a vibrant New Testament church in Brighton, but also expectancy in our own lives, our personal lives, in our family lives, for God to break through in supernatural ways. And the the way that he'll break through is primarily through focusing on his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, Mary has uh, exactly this kind of revelation to her. God says he's going to do something to dispel the gloom. That the people who walked in darkness are going to see a great light, and that light is Jesus. 
Now, what I'd like to do is just read verses 26 to 33, comment very briefly on them, and then spend half an hour on the the next uh, passage, 34 to 38. And then we're going to let God move amongst us, invite him to just touch us as we respond in faith to him. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. That uh, phrase, verse 28, who are highly favoured, is echoed again in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. Both words are actually the word grace. That's a word we use a lot in our context, isn't it? And rightly so. God is saying to Mary, I'm going to demonstrate my grace to you. That's something we must remember whenever we're thinking about God moving or God responding to our needs or the needs of the world. The world has got itself into the state it's in through rebellion and through sin and through disobedience. The horrors that we see all around us, the selfishness and the strife and the killing and the hate and the horrors even in the created world, the Word of God says, are because man has been rebellious to God. And so whenever God reaches out towards man, whenever he takes the initiative and says he's going to do something, it's grace. It's not that man deserves it. Somehow, God, you know, uh, we've got a right for you to break in and help us. No, not at all. It's grace. God's undeserved kindness and favor. He breaks in. And so, here it is. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Why was she greatly troubled. It says she was greatly troubled at Gabriel, the angel's words, not at his appearance, which you might have thought would have been what would have greatly troubled her, but it was the words. I wonder why that was. I've puzzled that one through and thought about it and prayed about it. I can't honestly say that I know the answer. The only thing that I think might be the case was that um, perhaps she knew her Bible Perhaps she knew that this was the kind of greeting to people that came from heavenly messengers that meant something pretty big was going to happen in her life. Uh, For instance, it's a very similar greeting that was given to Gideon by an angelic messenger hundreds of years earlier. And the angel came and uh, greeted Gideon in just just a similar way. And that was to revolutionize Gideon's life from obscurity, from being fairly uh, weak, And cowardly, uh, Gideon was taken out to be a mighty leader of uh, the people of Israel against their oppressors. It may be that Mary thought to herself, hey, what's happening? I'm just a a poor young girl, unknown, insignificant. What's the meaning of this? It looks like I'm not going to be insignificant any longer. It looks like God's got something in store for me. And there's something awesome about that. When God... uh, comes upon us in that way. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I'm sure Mary would have remembered Isaiah's words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
long prophesied. And now the angel was saying to Mary, this is what I'm about to do, says the Lord, through you. And then we come on to the the passage that we're particularly going to focus on now. Because what we see is that in response to God saying that he's going to do something mighty, he's going to dispel the darkness, he's going to shine his light in the person of Jesus, her first response is, how will this be? I think most of us, if we're honest, will identify with that. How will this be? She's utterly amazed. What she's hearing sounds as if it contradicts all human reason. Things don't happen like this. I'm a virgin. How can I have a child? How can I possibly carry a child in the way that you're saying? It's against everything I've experienced. It contradicts all human reason. Things like that just don't happen. How will this be? One of the things that encouraged me when I saw that question, and then I looked at the response, was that there was no bolt of lightning from the sky when Mary asked a question or uttered an exclamation. I think some of us have got uh, to rethink the whole business about our response to God. And I don't believe in my heart that God wants pat little answers from us, hearing us mouth the right form of words, when we feel that he's saying something to us that uh, we find difficult to accept. I think there is a place for us wrestling it through. I don't think God is threatened by our questions. As long as our questions are in the right attitude, I think sometimes our questions can be cynical. I think sometimes we can be just utterly unbelieving in our questions. But if there's a good heart and a good attitude... God's well able to cope with our questions and our wrestlings. You look again at the book of Job. You look again at the book of Jeremiah. You'll see that some of the mightiest men of God were men who had real questions of God and wrestled with things that they heard. Can this really be? How will this be? Are you really saying this? Can this really happen? And we sometimes may well feel the same. We look at the world And we pray about, Lord, a mighty move of your spirit right throughout the world. A revival, Lord, of supernatural proportions. And then we say, how will this be? Or can it really happen? Are we just living in cloud cuckoo land? This nation of ours. How can it be that we see a mighty move of God's spirit so that all around towns and cities and villages... Churches are packed to the doors with people wanting to hear about Jesus. That once again on the streets we can talk about people, about Jesus, and people will come and they'll want to hear. That in us, in our homes, amongst our family, at at work, there'll be a new hunger and a thirst amongst men and women to hear what we've got to say about the living God. How will this be, Lord? Surely we're just getting carried away. It can't possibly be, can it? Or even our own personal circumstances. We think about the marriage situation. Or we think about that kind of cul-de-sac we're in as far as the job's concerned. Or we think about the financial setup that we're in and all the hassle that it gives us and all the worry and the anxiety. Or perhaps it's something to do with health or a loved one or a multitude of other things. And it just seems to be like something that we're landed with forever. There's no way that we can see, humanly speaking, of that ever changing. And we can get very discouraged about it. How will this be? Lord, can you really change this? Surely it seems that it's always going to be like this. You can't possibly change it, can you? How will this be? But no bolt of lightning from the sky. God seems to be able to cope with us, asking questions, wrestling. As long as we're asking and our attitude is that of a good heart, a good attitude towards him. I want us to look at how God answers Mary. Because God's answer to Mary's, how will this be? How are you going to do such a mighty thing? His answer is to stir up expectancy. To stir up expectancy. And there are three things that uh, 
he does to stir up expectancy. And I'd like to take them in reverse order, looking first of all at verse 37. The first thing that God does to stir up expectancy is to, uh, to speak a truth to her that stirs up expectancy. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what he does, first of all. Stirring up expectancy in Mary to answer her question, how will this be? How can you possibly do that? A truth, a mighty theological statement, if you like. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you know, one of the earliest names that God revealed himself through to the patriarchs was a a name that meant exactly this. It was El Shaddai. God Almighty. That's the name that uh, captures the omnipotence of God. God was saying early on to the patriarchs, everything I tell you that I'm going to do, every promise that I'm going to make, I can accomplish. I'm never going to tell you something that I can't actually bring to pass. Now, actually, the, the term El Shaddai is very rarely used in Scripture after the time of the patriarchs. Very rarely used in the scriptures after that time. It would seem that God revealed himself through that name, especially early on, to establish something firmly for all time. That early on, in his uh, dealings with this people, everything that he said to that people, he would accomplish, he would actually be able to do. Because I am the Lord Almighty, God Almighty, El Shaddai, an omnipotent God. And men and women all around us and in this world of ours long for someone who is omnipotent. There was a a fascinating television documentary, I think it was Thursday night, about Sherlock Holmes. Did any of you see it? Tim Piggott-Smith was doing this fascinating documentary on Sherlock Holmes, the stories, some anniversary of the writing of them. And um, one or two little things struck me. He... He, uh, there was an interview with a Russian actor who's become very famous for his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes on Russian television, would you believe? And uh, they were asking this Russian uh, actor why he felt that the character of Sherlock Holmes was so universally popular. And he said, um, people need help. All around the world, in every generation, people need help. And Sherlock Holmes helps people. He is able to help people. <laughs> it's very simple, but then it was supplemented by something that a, a, an English academic then said about Sherlock Holmes. Why was, it, was he so universally popular? Every generation, why was Sherlock Holmes so popular? And he said, it's because Holmes is omnipotent. He can always keep his promises. If he says he'll help somebody and solve the crime... Solve the mystery. He always does it. He never fails. And people need somebody who's omnipotent. I felt really sad. (laughs) Isn't it tragic that people have to go to fictional characters to find someone omnipotent? Or our children are given a diet of superheroes with special powers. And this superhero can have these special powers and and the other has the other. A fantasy world to produce characters who are omnipotent, who can change things, who can break the rules and make things happen. And God says, you don't need to live in fiction land. You don't need to to live in the world of fantasy. I am the Lord omnipotent. I'm El Shaddai. Nothing is impossible with God. And this morning, God wants to say that to you and to me again. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. His mighty power extends beyond what you or I may have witnessed of his power. And it even extends beyond those things that he has chosen to do throughout history. Nothing is impossible to God. There are things that are impossible, of course. God cannot sin. God cannot change in his nature. God cannot deny himself. 
The Word of God says those things about God being impossible. But apart from those, nothing is impossible for God. There are things that he could do, but he doesn't choose to do, but he could. John the Baptist, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, who were getting all uppity about the fact that they were the children of Israel, and they didn't need to repent and be baptized, he said, listen, if God wanted to, he could take these stones that you see all around, and he could make those into children of Abraham. (laughs) Now, he doesn't choose to do that, but he could. God's mighty power extends beyond those things that he's already done. For nothing is impossible with God. There's a phrase used in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read it to you without you turning. It's talking about uh, Paul is praying. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and... His incomparably great power for us who believe. You see, God's power is beyond comparison. Incomparably great power. We're struggling when we come to trying to think of illustrations or analogies or metaphors. We cannot. God's power is way beyond our experience. The literal meaning of the word incomparable here uh, in the Greek is to throw beyond. It's almost like um, Fatima Whitbread. You know how she throws the javelin? It's almost like somebody coming up to throw the javelin and throwing it halfway around the world. And we say, yeah, that's just incomparable. (laughs) We've got nothing, you know, we can't hope to begin to match that. I mean, Fatima Whitbread can throw it how many yards or meters, but here's somebody who's thrown it halfway around the world, this javelin. I mean, it's just outside our realm of understanding. It's in a different, different dimension altogether. And that's what the Word of God is saying about God's incomparable power. There is nothing that comes near to his mighty power, for nothing is impossible with God. Of course, in the context of our passage this morning, God is specifically saying to Mary, what I have declared will happen will actually come to pass. However impossible it may sound to you that you will have a baby as a virgin and this baby will be the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, however impossible that sounds to you, it will happen. For nothing is impossible with God. When God says it, when he declares it, then it comes to pass. You see, it's sad. I mean, you can look at Bible commentaries and you can look at at books by so-called learned theologians today and they wrestle in this struggle about the virgin birth. Oh, they say this isn't a doctrine that the church demands that you believe. You read uh, daily study notes by William Barclay and he's so slushy and sentimental. He doesn't believe in the virgin birth, but he says all sorts of lovey-dovey things about what it can show us and illustrate. You see, they have such difficulty in accepting it. And God needs to say to them again, nothing's impossible with God. What's your worry? What's your problem? I want my son to be unique. I want my son to be fully man, the word become flesh, and yet fully God. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. I want my son to be begotten from before the beginning of time, and yet I want my son to be born in time and space in a manger in Bethlehem. I want my son to be one who can reveal me in all my grace and all my glory to man, and yet I want my son to be able to represent men and women before me, before my throne, fully. So nothing's impossible for me. I choose to do it this way. Nothing is impossible with God. So let's hear that this morning. It's a truth that should stir expectancy in us for our own situation. That marriage situation, that financial situation, that health problem, that job cul-de-sac, that mountain that's loomed over us and never seems to be able to move God says nothing is impossible with God. And he says it to us, not just so that we can file it away in our doctrinal drawer, but to stir expectancy in us. 
And it means you. It doesn't just mean the person next to you. It means you. I felt God showed me that uh, in my preparation that there are four areas particularly in which some people here this morning would be finding difficulty with this. One would be that some would say, I'm insignificant. There's no reason why God should single me out for his grace and favor. There are other people who, yes, I could understand God doing that for, for him or her, but there's nothing special about me. God wants to say that that is a lie, and Satan is actually just trying to be a thief with you and rob you. The second area is that there would be those who would say, these kind of things do happen to other people, but never happen to me. And again, God wants to say, nothing is impossible for me. And that includes you. It isn't just somebody that you read about in a paperback book. It isn't just for your friend for whom God has done something mighty. Thirdly, that would be those who would say, oh, I've been disappointed in the past. I've had my expectancy stirred. My faith was really reaching out in the past and then I was crushed and I was disappointed and it didn't happen and God didn't answer my prayer. And God wants to again stir expectancy in you. He wants to say to you, he can and he will and he does. And the fourth area, I could never have enough faith. I could never believe for that. How big is a mustard seed? Not very big actually. Nothing is impossible with God. A truth then that stirred up expectancy. If we look at the second area, after the, or just before the truth that God gave Mary to stir her, he gave her a sign to stir up expectancy. A sign. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. How will this be? That's what Mary had asked. How can it be? Incredulous, amazed. And God is stirring expectancy. Now by a sign. Now Mary didn't ask for a sign. Interestingly enough, Zechariah in the passage before this did ask for a sign. And he was given a rather unpleasant sign for asking. He couldn't speak for a period of time. It's all right, he got his speech back in the end. But Mary didn't ask for a sign, but she was given a very gracious sign indeed. And it was the sign of a close relative, Elizabeth, having already experienced the power of God breaking in in an impossible way into her life. And here it is for Mary's encouragement. There's nothing like it, is there, to stir expectancy in us? Do you find that? Hearing testimonies from others? Things being shared to stir our faith. Yes, God is doing these kind of things. Yes, God is the God of the impossible. And stirring our expectancy and stirring our faith. Just a couple of things about the sign. The first thing is that the sign was one that Mary could identify with. It's not some distant uh, story. It's quite close to home. It's a relative. It's someone and it's something that would cause a rise of faith in her. Even the phrase that God has used to her, that nothing is impossible with, with God, would have reminded her of another very similar sign from the word of God. Because Sarah, Abraham's wife, who also was barren, and who also was beyond the age of childbearing anyway, had been told by God that she would bear a child. And what did she do? She laughed. She thought it was a real giggle. She honestly thought it was completely incredible. And she laughed. And God said to her, in response to her laugh, is anything impossible for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the Lord? So here Mary, thinking, how will this be? How can I bear a child? I'm a virgin. How can this mighty thing happen through me? Surely not in this way, not through me, these things don't happen. And God says, now I'll give you a sign. Here's something for your encouragement. 
Here is something to stir you in expectancy. I am a God of the impossible. I am working in mighty ways. Here it is. Here's something for your encouragement. It may well be that many of us have got to learn <coughs> to, uh, to share signs that we have that we can pass on to others. It's important that we realize that things that God does for us are signs still. That's the word that's used in John's Gospel of uh, miracles, of healings, of answers to prayer. It's the word sign. And a sign is something that points beyond itself to somewhere else or someone else. And that's the point. When God does something for us, it is for our own good and our own benefit and our blessing, but it's not just for that. It's also a sign. And it can only be a sign if you actually start portraying it and sharing it and, and, portray, and demonstrating it before others. Then it becomes a sign for them as well. It doesn't point them to us, but it points them beyond us to the God who actually answered the prayer or the God who broke into our own circumstances. And so, say, Glenn and Carol, sharing about what God did for them in the birth of David and then helping Carol through that awful night when it looked like her life was ebbing away. That was not only God helping them and blessing them as a family, but when they tell other people, it becomes a sign. Do you see? It's a sign for others who then, in their circumstance, to see that, yes, God does do these things still today. It's not impossible. Where you have perhaps a marriage problem and God does something wonderful in reconciling you or breaking through in a mighty way, it is not just for your good. It may well be that after that time of consolidation and that time where you really now know that you're walking together on good, solid ground, that can become a sign for others. Yes, God does reconcile after all. It is not the end of the world when everything seems to be falling apart. God can put it back together again. And so our own blessings, when God breaks in for us, can become a sign. Please, Sunday morning by Sunday morning, never ever be reluctant about saying, I want to get out and share something, or just where you are in the midst of worship, sharing what God's done for you during the week. He did mean it for you. He wanted to bless you. He wanted to love you and express his care. But he wanted it to be a sign as well. Always a sign. A sign to others that they can believe too. That God is the God of the impossible for them as well. So the sign was one that Mary could identify with. Elizabeth having a child. Even though she was supposed to have been barren and she was well over age now. But along with that, however close the example was, Elizabeth's was, never, was not an identical situation to Mary. And I think that is something that's always true as well. Every situation is unique. When somebody shares their testimony or their sign of what God has done for them, it will always be different in some detail from your circumstance. Never be identical, ever. And so it will always mean that there will need to be a rise of faith in you. It is never a situation where you can say, that is exactly in every single detail my circumstances, I'm exactly the same kind of person, etc., etc., therefore it is a formula that is inevitable. It will happen. Never, no, never like that. See, signs never compel faith. There is always something about, however close they may seem to be your situation, there is always something about them that still requires of you faith to reach out to God uniquely for your own situation. And that was the case for Mary. Because Elizabeth was a very different person from her. Mary, she was a very young girl. Mary was a virgin. In every way, there was differences, even though there were other similarities that meant that she could identify with that situation. So are you, are you ready this morning to allow God to stir expectancy in you? Perhaps as you've heard of other people who've known the blessing of God, perhaps in financial situations, you're really up against it at the moment, and somebody begins to share how good God has been to them when 
They were right at the end of their tether, and God provided for them. And it stirs expectancy in you. As far as we as a church are concerned, praying for God to come down in mighty power. This Thursday morning, Steve Walford uh, was uh, sharing with us about a church in Swansea that his brother is, uh, in, is part of in, in the leadership. And it's a church that's had its difficulties over the last few years, had its heartaches and its pain. But God seems to have broken in in a new way in that church in the last few months. And they've had the most remarkable situation where just about everybody who's gone along to worship services in that church has become a Christian if they weren't one already. So husbands or wives, partners who've gone along, other family members, visitors. It's been quite remarkable so that it's been so obvious that the members of the church are now desperate to get their friends and their family along on a Sunday morning. Because God is moving in a, in a remarkable way. They've never known it before. Now, when we heard that Thursday morning, oh, it, it, it made us rise in faith. Expectancy. Oh, God, do that. You can do it after all. It's possible. You've given us a sign. It's possible. It stirs us. Are you going to allow God to stir you this morning, to expect that he can break in in your situation? Nothing is impossible with God. That's the truth that stirs expectancy. But now, a sign as well to stir expectancy. And the third, the third thing that God gave to Mary to stir expectancy in her was a promise. A promise to stir expectancy. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If Mary's how will this be was uh, a genuine question as well as an expression of amazement, then God's giving her the answer now about how this will be. You know, how do you do these kind of things, God? What method do you use to make the impossible happen? And how do you make me a virgin into someone who bears a child who will be called the Son of God. Um, how, Lord, do you actually break into my circumstances, where I am, with my health, with my finances, with my marriage, with my job, with my situation, whatever it is? How, how do you go about that, Lord? What is it that you give? What is it that you do? How is it that you operate to, to bring the impossible about? How do you do it in churches, Lord? How is it that you can break through in mighty ways like the church in Seoul in South Korea that we hear about and we read about and, you know, our minds boggle. Half a million members in this church. How do you do things like that, Lord? <laughs> what do you, how, what's the technique, Lord? How do you mightily work, Lord? And the same answer comes every time. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's how God makes impossible things happen. And that, this morning, is what God wants to stir expectancy in you over. That kind of promise. It's actually called the promise in, uh, in the Gospels. When Jesus talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, when he's gone, when he's gone into heaven, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and that became known as the promise. The Holy Spirit, the promise. And he is still the promise. He is the one who comes upon you. He is the one who brings about the impossible in your situation. And that's what he's going to do for you. Notice in these words to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. One of the things that God had to show me several years ago was the danger of passively, passively waiting for God to move by His Spirit. God wants to stir us in expectancy so that this morning there is nothing passive about our waiting for this promise for our own situation, for our own marriage, for our own work, for our own finances, or for our own church and for our own nation. 
He wants to stir expectancy in it. So it's not passive, ah, waiting for this promise. In my case, God had to teach me it through this whole business of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. My theological training had taught me to be very sceptical about such claims. And I went through a few years of doubting whether it was biblical even to believe in a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then, uh, when I was towards the end of my pastorate in Sheffield, in a Baptist church there, I began to realize, I studied uh, more widely, read more widely, studied in depth the texts of the Scripture, and came to an intellectual assent that yes, it was thoroughly biblical to be able to accept that God today baptized by His Holy Spirit to give power and assurance and the gifts of the Spirit and so on. But you see, one of those that I read that convinced me was the writings of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And although he convinced me of that... On the one hand, on the other hand, he said, but of course you can't ask for this to happen. You've just got to wait and perhaps God someday will baptize you in his Holy Spirit. And I accepted that for about four or five years. And I didn't didn't expect and I didn't seek anything from God. I thought, well, when God wants to baptize me in his Holy Spirit, he will. And then when I was a pastor in Littlehampton, I came across a situation where I was absolutely desperate. I came across a a teenager who was demonized. And the sheer horror of the reality of evil in that lad's life made me realize that the reality of evil was greater to him than the reality of the Holy Spirit was to me. And I was impotent to do anything about him. And there was a new urgency came in my life. There was a new desperation about wanting This baptism of the Holy Spirit from God. And the next morning I picked the phone up and I rang a friend that had been an elder in the church who I knew was baptized in the Spirit. I said, come and come round to my house. And he came in, upstairs into my office. I said, you've got to pray for me. I need this empowering from God. I need this touch from God. God's promised it. I believe it in my head. I've seen other people. But now I want this touch from God. I want this promise of the Holy Spirit as well. And he prayed for me. And there and then, why didn't I do it earlier? Years before, there and then, God met me. Powerfully. You see? So here's Mary. She's been given the theological truth that stirs expectancy. Nothing is impossible with God. And we can get that this morning. We can say, yes, I see it. It's biblical. God is omnipotent. He's El Shaddai. Nothing's impossible with him. That's number one. Secondly, Mary was given a sign, Elizabeth, a demonstration to stir her faith. And we can see the same. We can say, yes, somebody else. God's broken in there. Yes, another church. God's broken in there. But it still needs this third area. A stirring of expectancy in us for us ourselves to receive this power, this Holy Spirit coming upon us and overshadowing us. Nothing passive about it. I believe that God this morning wants to stir expectancy in us. Not just for this morning either. Not just so that the next half an hour is going to be very emotional and then it's all forgotten. No, not at all. I believe in this next half an hour God can move near us to stir expectancy in our lives in a new way. But not just to end at 12 or 12.15. Throughout the week. With a new perspective on God. What he can do and what he wants to do. And oh God, what we need you to do in our world as we come near the end of another year. Let's all pray and then we're just going to continue in worship.